0: For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Matthew chapter five, verse twenty. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You, Please proceed. This is rather an astonishing passage. Because the Pharisees are not usually portrayed in a favorable light in the Gospels, right? Especially when spoken of by Jesus. We know, actually, that Jesus roundly condemns the Pharisees at many turns, chiefly for their hypocrisy. But most of those encounters with the Pharisees come after uh, this Sermon on the Mount when Jesus proclaims, talks about the righteousness of the Pharisees. So I don't think we're actually supposed to read in sort of the, the faults of the, the Pharisees into this passage. I think Jesus is genuinely praising something righteous about the scribes and the Pharisees. He doesn't say, be righteous unlike the Pharisees, right? He says, your righteousness must exceed the Pharisees, which wouldn't be even a teaching at all if it didn't mean that the Pharisees had moved the ball down the field at least a little bit. A metaphor I don't really understand. <laughs> What's more is Jesus doesn't just say um, that your righteousness needs to exceed theirs to get some greater reward in heaven. He actually puts it as the entrance bar, right? He says, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So it's definitely worth examining what righteousness did the Pharisees genuinely have so that we can know what would it look like to exceed that righteousness. Now, I think it might be tempting to sort of see this as one of those sort of like trick puzzles that people leave on their coffee tables, like as if the answer is, well, we can't exceed their righteousness, but we know from Romans chapter three that if we have faith in Christ, we are accounted righteous for his sake. So we might think it's a trick, but I actually don't think that's the best reading of this uh, teaching of Jesus, because just before Jesus says that thing, we kind of famously know it in the, the older translation that not a jot, not a tittle, not an iota, of the law is gonna pass away. Jesus is pointing towards the law of Moses, the commandments. And then immediately after this passage, the reading we're gonna look at and unpack next Sunday, is when Jesus actually amplifies the law. When he says, you've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I say, if you've committed lust in your heart, you've committed adultery, right? So Jesus is actively pointing towards um, commandments of God and righteousness that comes from them. He says that anyone who relaxes even the least commandment is least in the kingdom of heaven. So I think Jesus is talking about honest-to-goodness law-keeping, righteousness by doing what is right, right? That's the root of righteousness, right? Being just according to the law. The Gospels, despite the many times they point out the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, the Gospels actually do point out um, two ways in which the Pharisees were genuinely righteous, and one way in which they were kind of halfway there but needed to go a bit further. And Those are what I want to look at this morning. So the first is that the scribes and the Pharisees loved the Bible. They loved the Bible. They didn't always interpret it rightly. Right? Jesus challenges their interpretation. But their love for the Bible was, a, I think, part of what contributed to the righteousness that Jesus is pointing to. They treasured God's word written. They gathered all the time to read it and to study it and, and process it, synthesize it, and, and then pray it, to take the Psalms on their lips and to pray the scriptures, to understand the scriptures. Jesus expressly says that the Pharisees sat in the seat of Moses, right? the seat of teaching and prophecy, and that the, the Pharisees and the scribes should be listened to, and that's where we get the famous. Maxim, you know, do as they say, not as they do. Jesus said that about the Pharisees. They're saying the right thing. They're not living up to it in many cases, or they're straying from it, but in what they're saying, listen to them. And what they were saying was coming out of a love of the Bible, which, of course, for them meant the Old Testament because the New Testament hadn't been written yet, Uh, but for us is the whole Bible. They had zeal for the word which was commendable. So I think one of the things that Jesus is saying we should exceed them in is is in zeal for the word. And indeed, Christians, generally speaking, do exceed the Pharisees in love for the word. I mean, most of you have Bibles, if not in your hands right now, in your homes, right? And, and you take time to study the scriptures. But I just want to encourage you, especially as we're sort of gearing up in a couple of weeks for Lent, um, to really double down on, the, on seeking to know God as he's revealed himself in his word. Jesus tells us we need to exceed the Pharisees in love for the Bible. To so maybe ask the question, do you ever give up leisure time, time that could be spent doing something that would just be recreative for a study of Scripture? Right? Do you ever give up sleep time? Do you make the most of every opportunity to become more informed about the Scriptures? Um, you know, reading devotional books, reading literature to understand the Bible, talking about it with your friends and with your family, coming to Bible study um, when they're offered. I want to say that Lincoln's class this morning, I... Um, I spent tens of thousands of dollars sitting under some of the greatest uh, Bible professors in the world, the guys who write all the textbooks. Um, and I'm telling you, I got more out of 45 minutes with Lincoln this morning than I did in many, many hours um, of some of the, the best Bible teachers in the world who I sat under um, at Wheaton and, and elsewhere. But, um, so I, you know, come to Bible study. Now some of you I know it's not possible for practical reasons, but if it is possible, this is a great opportunity to study the Word with a, with a depth and a synthesis that is, was really commendable. We study not just for head knowledge, of course, and this bleeds into actually the second thing that the Pharisees were truly righteous in. The Pharisees were so careful and diligent to obey God's commands. They were careful and diligent to obey. They exerted themselves intellectually and physically, and they were extremely cautious to make sure that they obeyed every last one of the 613 commandments in the Old Testament. They were so careful that they actually made up extra rules of their own just to make sure that they wouldn't come anywhere close to breaking God's rules so God had commanded very clearly don't work on the Sabbath well they said well you probably shouldn't walk more than a quarter mile because you're gonna get pretty close to doing work then you know you're gonna get your heart rate up and, and they must have known about that 20 minutes of exercise thing um, <laughs> and he said that that could possibly count as work so just don't even do that so that you don't even come within a mile of breaking literally breaking um God's commandment. Um, dead animals, which were everywhere in the ancient world, because the pagans were offering sacrifices everywhere, the Romans, dead animals made you ritually unclean. So the Pharisees, they thought, well, anything that's come within two degrees of contact, if it's a vessel has touched the hands of someone who shook hands with someone who might have touched a dead animal, well, every time you use that vessel, you should wash it just in case. They're so careful about purity that that's why we see all those washings that they talk about in the Gospels, um, is to avoid impurity. This practice of kind of inventing rules called, got, came to be called um, fencing the Torah, of, of keeping a fence to keep it safe. It's actually the root of modern kosher food laws. Have you ever wondered where kosher food law comes from? You get these commands in the Old Testament, like don't boil a goat, like a, a kid, a goat kid, in his mother's milk. So then kosher food laws are like, well, to not even come within a mile of that, don't put dairy and meat on the same plate. That's one of kosher meat preparation laws. You know, so all of those things are, are extensions of this principle still alive in Judaism today. These fences that the Pharisees set up, they actually were ultimately the downfall of the Pharisees because the Pharisees got their priorities wrong. They started to, as Jesus says, you honor the traditions of man at the expense of honoring the traditions of God. Right, so they made these man-made rules, and she's like, no, no, you've got the proportion all wrong. But notice that when he condemns um, them in one passage, he says, you tithe your mint and your cumin, and think about like powdered spices and kind of cutting off a tenth, you know. This this tiny diligence, and you forget the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy. Right? He's saying you've got it out of proportion, but then what does Jesus say? He says, um, you should have done the latter you, um, without neglecting the former. Right? It wasn't their, punk, their diligence wasn't the problem, it was that they got it out of proportion. It was that they were actually interpreting the law without spiritual wisdom. They were sort of interpreting it in a, in a man-made way, and Jesus, he comes against that really strongly. But underneath there is the Pharisees' zeal, which I think Jesus is commending, that their zeal is to obey, they want to obey What they had was zeal, as the Bible says, zeal without knowledge. They wanted to obey, but they went about the wrong way to, to go and do that. And one of the sort of epiphanies of the new covenant is that the right way is in re- only possible with the Holy Spirit. Impossible to please God and keep the rules. The flesh is just going to flare up when you say, don't do that, unless you have the Holy Spirit. Sanctifying, as we've heard in 1 Corinthians, um, giving us the mind of Christ to inhabit this obedience. So I just encourage you to think about your own life for a second. Does your zeal to obey God exceed the Pharisees? Think about how careful they were. It should. And when I look at my life, it doesn't instinctively. In fact, I think, I was thinking about this. um, Think about the care you give to the finer points of detail on sort of the weighty documents of life, like when you're signing a will or a mortgage, right? You know, you're paying attention, you know, you're, okay, which one is this that I'm signing, and what does this mean, and, and we're so careful about something that would commit us for a couple decades, are we even that careful for something that commits us for eternity, right? Like, if this is the standard, it was a Bible, Not my, my sermon's not the standard, the Bible is the standard, if this is the standard, are we really careful to say, look, am I obeying what you've set forward? That's what the Pharisees really cared about, and we should exceed them in that righteousness. <laughs> Um, I think most of us are, are a bit too carefree. Um, the way to be diligent about following the commandments, as I said, is, not, is by listening to the soul of the commandments and obeying that to its very depths, listening to the spirit of the law and not the letter. That's the Pharisees' problem, right? They're just getting so tied up in the letter and they're neglecting the spirit of the law. That's what Jesus talks about as well in John chapter 6. Now, I think when, if you're like me, when you hear that, you think, Nice, we don't have to obey the letter of the law, you know, just the spirit. The spirit of the law is actually a heavier thing than the letter of the law, a deeper thing, a richer thing, a more complex thing. Did you know that there's actually more commandments, more imperative verbs in the New Testament than in the Old? There's 613 commandments um, in the Old Testament. There's over a thousand direct commands in the New Testament. So there's actually more by quantity. Actually, by comparison, this is one of the mistakes I think we make. We I think we sometimes think about it like, well, under the old covenant, it was really hard to obey, and under the new, it's really easy. Right? Paul says in Philippians, he says he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. And he says in chapter, I think it's chapter four in Philippians, he says, according to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. That we kind of hear sometimes rhetorically in sermons, oh, it was really hard to keep the old testament. It's actually not that hard to keep the old covenant law. Just don't kill anybody. Go to Jerusalem three times a year. I mean, there were some more tricky points. But in general, um, it, was a much, it was not so difficult to obey. Contrast that with what Christ unpacks as the soul of the Ten Commandments and in, the, in, the, in the Sermon on the Mount as it continues. That it's not just about keeping marital fidelity with your body, right? Don't commit adultery. It's about keeping marital fidelity with your eyes, and with your heart, with your mind. That's a, that's a much higher commandment. The law of Christ um, is actually harder to follow, not easier. And that's why, for in, in keeping the law of Christ, that's how our righteousness will exceed the Pharisees. We have the chance um, to live more uprightly than the Pharisees even thought was possible. Um, if in hearing this you're mildly discouraged, uh, join the club. <laughs> I think it, sometimes when we think about righteousness, we think just in the present moment, and we think, well, right now, in the last 30 seconds, forward and back, I'm a pretty righteous guy, right? but we're not going to be judged according to the last 30 seconds. Our whole lives are on record. How in view of our entire life could our righteousness exceed the Pharisees? When we look back on our past sins, um, our past coldness, I, I've had many years where I didn't have zeal for the Bible the way the Pharisees did, but I was actually cold and, and, and sort of apathetic towards it. I kept it on my shelf, but I never cracked it. Carelessness towards God's laws, neglect of his word. Um, in, other, in Jesus' words, when we look at our whole lives, most of us, I suspect, um, would not be accounted fit to enter the kingdom of heaven, that we have not exceeded the Pharisees in righteousness. For us, there remains one final way to exceed their righteousness, repentance. It's a tool that the Pharisees didn't have because it was only possible once the debt had been paid. Right? There was no sort of ultimate repentance under the old covenant. There were sacrifices, but they only took, things, took care of things for a few months at a time. That's what Hebrew says. They had to keep happening because there was no full payment of the debt of sin, which Christ accomplished on the cross. So there was no real spiritual repentance that was possible. However, in the new covenant... Um, This Spirit-inspired work is available to us. Um, When we repent, we actually allow our past deeds to be transformed by the mercies and the merits of Christ so that we actually become righteous. And repentance isn't just a a single instance of, okay, Lord, I'm sorry for that, moving on. It's It's the enduring quality of what the old church used to call penitence patterns of sorrow for sin as we were learning about with the beatitudes poverty of spirit mourning our own sins and the effect of sins in our lives that was the beatitude we looked at this morning blessed are those who mourn resisting temptations in the future hating sin when we join in the hatred of our own sins we're actually inhabiting the mind of christ because christ hates our sins right so we actually join ourselves with jesus when we look at our own lives and say i hate this part of my past I hate the fact that the effects of that are in the present. I'm still kind of inclined in these broken ways. You know, we are to accept the love of God unconditionally, that he loves who you are, right? In your very essence, your deepest part of yourself, who you fundamentally are and will be for eternity. Jesus loves that absolutely, infinitely, right? But he does hate the sin that is marring that goodness that he made, uh, the sins that we have done in our past so we continue um, to hate that sin and and in light of that to live humbly showing mercy all deeds that reveal um, that there's true repentance in the heart have you noticed how in the prayer book the word repentance always has an adjective next to it all those who sincerely repent all those who truly repent I think the prayer book is nudging us to sort of keep pursuing that sort of lived spirit of continued repentance Repentance that affects the blotting out um, of our sins by the mercy of Christ. We don't earn his forgiveness. It's already been given. But to have sort of his mercy, as it were, welded onto the past acts of our sins in our lives. Repentance is, okay, who knows welding? What what makes welding work? There's a word there. Seam. A seam, okay, there you go. That makes the seam to connect um, with our past sins so that our lives can then truly be more righteous than the Pharisees, that we exceed them, not for any merits of our own, but because we have Christ in us. We have His Holy Spirit. We have the illumination of our minds to understand the Bible to a depth the Pharisees only dreamed of. We actually will exceed their righteousness by the mercy and the power of God. And this is part of why we walk through Lent year after year, Um, It's not assuming that in the nine months that passed since the last Lent that you've all of a sudden fallen into some terrible disarray, although if that is the case, Lent is a chance for restoration. Um, It's that we kind of practice with focus each year what does it look like to cultivate um, a deeper repentance so that we can actually have the righteousness of Christ be made ours um, in our own lives, to deepen our repentance that through Christ in us our righteousness would truly exceed the Pharisees so that we can enter the kingdom of heaven. Amen.